All right. If you got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And that's where we're going to spend the next several weeks going through this uh, armor of God. This armor of God. If you haven't ever read Ephesians, man, I would encourage you to do so. I think it's one of the I think it's one of the most encouraging and I think it's one of the the best explanations of our standing and then our struggle in all of scripture. And instead of going through all of it, I just want to walk through this end part uh, in the armor of God. When I was, when I showed up almost 14 years ago now, um, that first summer when I was preaching on the weekends, we did a study on the armor of God and I haven't preached it since then. And I've got a file cabinet you know, full of old sermons. And I, I didn't go back and look at what I had prepared for this back then, but I am certain that after 14 more years of my own struggle in the Lord, that some of these, um, some of the ways that God teaches me to prepare me to preach for scripture are different than they were back then. And I, and I know that that's the case. And sometimes when you prepare a sermon, light bulbs just go off in your head and you get incredibly excited. The problem is sometimes in your excitement, you overpreach the point and you make it about my, you make it about your excitement and not about the actual text and what it's saying. And so I'm just praying that that doesn't happen tonight because I am excited because I think, I just think for a lot of us, I think for a lot of us, a lot of us, a lot of you online, a lot of us in here that sometimes we misunderstand this fight that we're in as a Christian. So I played sports and I played sports. I played team sports. I wasn't great at individual sports. I played team sports. Did anybody online, anybody in here play team sports? Right? Anybody ever go into a locker room before the game got ready to start and set through a pregame speech? All right, and those of you that didn't do that, do you know what I'm talking about, right? So the teams warm up, right? They go into the locker room, and before the game begins, there's a few minutes that the coach has his team in front of him and gives them the pregame speech, right? Movies have been made about these great pregame speeches, right? Newt Rockney from, you know, eons and eons ago, still a speech in a, in a football locker room that is quoted in 2023 to football teams, right? Around, uh, around all of those universities because it was such a great speech, right? And if you saw the movie Rudy, which if you haven't, shame, shame on you, right? Uh, he reenacts that speech in the locker room when he's when he's cleaning it, right? I myself have never sat through a terribly motivating pregame speech. It was not a gift of any of the coaches that I played for, right? But I've been around sports enough to know that it happens. That a coach gets you in there and gives you the raw, raw speech. And when you go out into the tunnel and onto the playing field, you're ready to run through a brick wall because you're that excited. I think what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 6 is gives us a pregame speech. 
Because before we get to the actual armor, I think there's a moment before we take the field that he says to us, let me give you these last minute instructions. Let me give you this pregame, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and part of chapter 6 was all explaining it all, right? Here's the, here's the layout, right? Here's your standing, and here's who the enemy is, and all the, it's five and a half chapters. Read it. It's incredibly encouraging. Chapter 6 and verse 10, he breaks it down. We're ready to break the locker room, we're ready to get into it, and before we go, he gives us this pregame speech. And in 610, he begins that pregame speech. And I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're going to read these four verses together. And then we're going to walk through what the pregame speech actually says. He says this in Ephesians 610. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your what? Take your stand. Everybody say the word stand. It's a word that is spoken five times in this admonition. He says, put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Anything that you notice right out the bat that's absent in that struggle? Any one name missing from that struggle that you know? Satan. Nowhere does he say our fight is with Satan. Not once. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when that day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Not fight. Not fight. Stand. Your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, you can be seated <laughs> or you can stand. I don't care. I knew that was going to be weird, right? Stand. I don't know about you, but I think the picture that we often paint for ourselves. And I think the picture we often paint for each other in the church is this is my fight. We talk about, I got to get better. The world talks about being your best self, right? Being the best version of you, which means you're going to have to fight, right? I'm trying to lose weight. I got up to 206 pounds, right? And I was miserable. I've got a bad knee. Joe wants me to go walk around Israel for two weeks and I can't do it. And I can't have knee surgery weighing 200 pounds, right? And so I needed to try to lose some weight. That is a fight. It's a fight. That's my fight. But spiritually, here's the thing I want you to hear in the pregame speech. There is no fight. There is no fight. When it comes to the spiritual world that you live in, and I live in as a believer, that fight is over. The admonition is for you and I to what? Stand. That word means not to break, not to collapse, not to let this thing defeat you in being able to, the word means to bear up under the weight. 
All we got to do is keep standing. Now listen, scripture says we have to resist the devil, right? But you ain't got to fight him. And what you're going to find out in this pregame speech is why. So I've got three words that are going to start with the best letter of the alphabet. Thank you, C, right? Just so we're clear, it's the best letter of the alphabet, right? C, and here's the first one, comprehend. How many of you have ever been in a conversation and you've said something like this to the person that's listening to? I need you to understand. Anybody ever say that? Right? Or they've said it to you. Listen, listen. I need you to understand this. You ever say that to your kids? Right? Yeah, you ever say that to your, your, your partner, your spouse? Yeah, that's how the fight starts, right? But we say that a lot. I need you to understand this. Why? Because what we're saying is comprehension is absolutely essential to the next part of this. If there is no comprehension, nothing's going to happen, right? I had to come to the comprehension that I can't walk for 10 days in Israel. The amount of miles going to be required to go with Joe unless I get my knee fixed. I get it in a theory, but I got to comprehend it. What Paul says here in the first part of this speech is there's comprehension needed. And here's the verse, only one, verse 10. It says this. Everybody online, everybody here, read it with me. Be, finally, he says what? Be, be strong in who? So first of all, you need to know this ain't about your strength. If you're going to do this thing that he will describe as a spiritual battle, he says you need to be strong in who? In Jesus. That word in, E-N in the Greek, epsilon nu, means in, within, right? You need to find your strength. That word strength is where we get our word dynamite from, dunamis in the Greek. It has the word in in front of it, so it's in dunamis. And it means you need to do this. You need to within yourself, right? You need to enable that power that comes from whom? From whom? From whom? Not you. Not you. And so, and so immediately, for some of you, that should relax your shoulders a bit. Because what you've done is you've made this spiritual thing about you and about my strength. This armor of God, that's just going to make me stronger so I can swing the sword better, right? I can be more righteous. I can have better feet that can walk. And you've made it about who? You. And what he says is, finally be strong in who? In the Lord. And you know this concept. How many of you have raised kids? And how many of you have often wanted to beg in tears your children to find their strength in a moment of weakness from you? Anybody ever done that? Because we watch what happens when our children face their struggles on their own. What happens? Those struggles often what? They often win. They often win. What do you think happens in counseling? Right? We equip people in counseling to ultimately be able to stand, but sometimes before they can stand, they're going to have to find their strength in who? Another person. That's why AA has sponsors. 
Because guess what? When you're going through AA and you're fighting a battle, sometimes your strength will drink. Sometimes your strength will binge. Sometimes your strength will get drunk. But if you call your sponsor and you are strong in them, guess what? You can say what? Does that concept make sense to you? This is about you and me finding what we need, first of all, in Jesus. And he describes what I need you to find in Jesus. He says, bring that verse back up in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And when you get there, this is what you're looking for. His what? His mighty power. And here's the thing. The word strong is dunamis, dynamite, ability, power, force. This one here, might and strength, is a different word. It means kratos. It's the word kratos in the Greek. And it means your force. What you bring into a fight. I've never been into a fist fight. I'm not going to ask who's been in here because I can look around the room and I can probably guess right. All right? Some of you have been in a fight. And some of you know that when you fight mano y mano, it's about what you bring and about what they bring. And it's about who's going to win. So I've got a friend, um, a dear, dear friend, and we talk on a regular basis. And he's he's much shorter than I am. And so I, I at times, threaten physical violence because of my size. Right? I've never been in a fight. He's probably been in a bunch of them. Okay? He was in the Navy. Right? And I, at times, will give him grief about threatening physical violence to him because of my size. And he will always eventually defer to, well, I'll just bring baby doll along. Well, who's baby doll? I know now after 27 years of friendship, baby doll is his gun that he carries around with him, right? And he always reminds me that when it comes to bringing my force against his force, that his force comes with baby doll. Why? Because when it comes to a battle, when it comes to a fight, it's me against them. My force against them force. Look at what verse 10 says again. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in, and in his what? His mighty power, his kratos. His own personal force is what you're finding when you run to Jesus for your dunamis. So what is Jesus's force? What did he bring to bear that is so much better than what I bring to bear in my fight? What is it that he offers that works that I don't have? Well, let me read you a couple of verses, right? Skip, skip uh, Romans, Philippians, and 1 Timothy and go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Listen to what Paul says. He uses kratos here in reference to Jesus's force. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, he says, to which he's called you. The riches of his glorious, glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power, his incredibly great kratos. Not dunamis, not ability, not force, but his actual strength. He says, and his incomparably great strength for who? For us who believe. So his strength is designed for us. If you believe Jesus online, you believe Jesus in here, say amen. He said, so my great strength is for you. Okay, everybody got that? Listen to what it did. Listen to this. It says this, that power 
That kratos, that strength, is like the working of his mighty strength, kratos, right? Which did what? He exerted in God. So God has kratos, and he exerted it to Jesus, who has kratos. He exerted it in Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all what? Rule and authority and power and dominion. Do those words sound familiar? Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Bring that verse back up. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers. You see what I'm saying? Jesus's kratos is greater than their kratos and God's kratos raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but in my power, I can't raise anybody from the dead. Can you? No. My kratos can kill somebody. My kratos can find a way to kill somebody. My kratos can't bring anybody back from the dead. God's dead. And when he did it, He exerted that power over all the things that you and I wrestle against. That's our fight. Now, listen to this verse, Hebrews 2. This is where I got excited, right? Because let me ask you a question. Online, everybody in here. How many of you have boiled Christianity down to you having good days and bad days, winning and losing, succeeding and failing? How many of you go through that process where, man, today I did a really good job of following Jesus and yesterday I did a really poor job? How many of you go through that process? Okay. Those of you in the back, participate, all right? Because if you don't, I'm going to call Joe out here and he's going to yell at you, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But that's what happens a lot, Right? How are you doing? Well, I'm not doing very good today. Well, what's going on? Well, you know, I did this, I did that, I did this, and did that, right? And then sometimes it's like, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing great. Man, I'm praying. I feel connected. I've been reading my scriptures, right? And we boil it down to my successes and my failures, right? We've made it a fight that we either win or lose. Anybody ever feel that way? Right? And here's the thing. We're not fighting. We're not fighting. And the reason we're not fighting is, is because if you fought Satan... You would what? You would lose. Listen to what Hebrews says. First chapter two. I love this verse. He says, since the children, that's you and me, have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in her humanity. Why did Jesus come in the flesh? Because you're in the flesh. I'm in the flesh. And for him to be relatable to you and to me, he needed to be like me and like you. Does that make sense to you? Yes, of course it does, right? Because when you talk to people for help, it always is better if they understand where you're coming from because they've been there before. Yes? We need a Savior who gets us. He came in flesh. Look what happens. It says this. He shared in their humanity so that by his what? Keep that in mind. His death, he might destroy. That means to annihilate Right To completely remove, he says, to destroy him who holds the power of what? Death. That is the... Okay. Keep that verse right there. Get this, right? Jesus, through his death, destroyed Satan. And he held the power of your death and mine. Meaning your death and my death, we owed to this dude, the devil. And he was going to collect at death. He was going to collect at that moment on your default and say, you're mine now for all of eternity. Jesus showed up, 
right? Jesus showed up and by dying, he ended up defeating Satan. And how did he do it? Next verse. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of what? Let's be honest. Anybody here ever be, ever been afraid about dying? Anybody in here ever been afraid of people around you you love dying, right? It is a constant companion of everybody who takes a breath. Because as we're learning in our 24-hour news cycle and our access to information 24-7, people die. We learned this week that people walk into schools and shoot guns and kill children and teachers still, right? Because why? We're all at some level afraid of that moment. Yes, we have confidence in Jesus, but we all are mortal and we all know it and we all wonder when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. That fear, that fear kept us in slavery and that was all the devil's strength. Goes on to say this. For surely it's not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful high priest. So here's what happened. Here's where the fight was at. Remember what God said in Genesis 3? The man, this seed, is going to come and he's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. Everybody remember that? That's the fight. God said, this boy, Jesus, who's coming, will fight you. And when he fights you, he's bringing his kratos, his strength, and he's going to fight against your strength, and the best man's going to win. And guess who won? Come on, say it. Jesus won. That's what happened on Good Friday. Jesus, in that moment, brought his force to bear against the force of Satan and On Friday, it looked like Satan won. Amen? And on Saturday, it looked like Satan had won. But on Sunday, it was clear that who won? Jesus. Why? Because God's kratos and Jesus' kratos are greater than Satan's. So he says, comprehend this. The armor of God... That you're going to be asked to put on is so that you can do what? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. You see, if you think this is a fight with Satan, you're going to do everything you can to make yourself stronger. If you know that Jesus already fought Satan and beat him for you, you're going to do everything to get that power on your side. Does that make sense to you? You see, the armor of God isn't to make you stronger in the fight isn't to make you a soldier so you could right that's not the point the point is you already have a victor in jesus and therefore destroyed satan and now i'm free of the fear of what death i'm not a slave anymore so when he says be strong in the lord and in his mighty strength You're only going to do that when you recognize, I don't have to fight Satan. He's already been fought and defeated. All I got to do is get as close to the victor as I possibly can. And some of that's just going to rub off of me. Make sense to you? I remember, I don't know, anybody here ever met a president? Okay. Anybody ever met a presidential candidate? Right? I don't know if you've ever been around these people. Right? Right? But there's an aura that they have. 
right? There's an aura that they have. Because when you get around them, because listen, we see them on TV and we're like, oh my God, they're the dumbest people in the world. How are people following those people? Stand close to them. The minute you stand close to them, you're going to feel something. You can sense it. It's in everything that they do. It's in the way that they dress. It's in the way that they talk. It's in the people around them. And guess what? When you stand near that, you feel what? Feel strong. You feel invincible. That's why people like to be people who have power. They want, they want to be near those people. Why? Because they feel like it rubs off. Too many Christians aren't running to Jesus for his power. They're running into a fight they think exists with their own power. Can you give me something to get better at this? Can you give me something to do better at this? Can you give me something to do better at this? No. Jesus already did it as well as it can be done. Just go get near him. Does that make sense to you? This is why we want you to get close to Jesus. This is why I want you to have a relationship with Jesus. Because some of you are out there on your own and you're trying to do everything right. You're trying to win the fight, trying to not fail and trying to pray more, trying to read more and trying to be this and trying to be that. You know what? I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it's not working. Because for most of us, you tighten the belt in one area and you spring a leak in another. So maybe you don't smoke and maybe you don't drink and maybe you don't cuss. But guess what you do do? You gossip and you envy and you lie, right? And maybe you don't do any of those things. Well, guess what you do? You get proud, right? Every time we tighten up, we leak somewhere. Because guess what? We're sinners. And you know what? Never leaks. Do you want never fails? Do you want know what never loses? Jesus. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And here's the thing. When you do that, you recognize, I ain't got to fight. You don't have to fight. You simply have to wrestle. And I don't know if you've ever fought, punched, fought versus wrestled. But those are two different things. Two different things. So first of all, comprehend this. This isn't your fight. This isn't my fight. Jesus fought. He fulfilled Genesis 3.15 and he whipped Satan's rear end. Destroyed him. Everybody say the word destroyed. He destroyed him. Aren't you great church? Aren't you happy for that church? Amen. That's what we're going to celebrate on Easter weekend. That death and that burial and that resurrection. We're going to celebrate the kratos of God and Jesus that won the fight for us. And now I don't have to. Somebody say amen. And then you need to clothe. Here's the command. You're in the locker room. It's the pregame speech. I need you to get this. Here's the command. It's in the, it's in the imperative. Here's what it says. Clothe yourselves. Put on the full armor of God. Put. In the Greek, that's an aorist imperative. I love Greek. Right? I love it because of what you can learn from it. So there's tenses in every language, right? Present, past, present, future. Everybody got that? When the Greek, Right? You've got present, right? You have aorist, right? You have an aorist tense. This word put in the Greek is an aorist imperative, meaning this. It's an imperative because it's a command, right? Put on the armor. Yes, sir. But it's given in the imper- in the aorist. And here's why that's important to you. Because if it's a present imperative, you have to give it over And over and over again. Anybody ever ask your kids to clean their room? 
And how many of you have been the lucky ones that all you had to do was say it one time, every time, and every time you said it one time, they did exactly what you told them to do. Are there any people in here like that that we can boo? All right. No. How many of you have had to give the command more than one time? That is a present imperative. An aorist imperative means you give it once. And it works forever. Listen to what he says. Bring that verse back up. We, we've got a comprehension. This isn't a fight. Somebody say amen. This is a wrestling match, not a fight. There's a difference. The fight's already been won. And who won it? Come on, say his name. That's why we celebrate him, right? So you go get your, you go get your force and your strength from him, right? And then he says this, you do it by putting on the armor of God. How many times did you put it on? Come on, say it. Once. Once. We think this thing requires me every day to get ready for the fight. I played basketball in elementary school. We had fifth and sixth grade basketball growing up. And we were lucky in fifth and sixth grade basketball. We had, we had basketball uniforms. And then we had, we had warm-ups that we put on over, right? Baggy pants and a, and a top so that we came out, we looked cool, and we warmed up, right? We're in sixth grade, and we're warming up for a game, and it's at home, right? We're in our little dinky gym, and all the parents are there, and they're all excited, right? And the five of us go out onto the floor, and we're ready to, to, to compete against the other five. Well, there's other kids that sit on the bench if you watch the basketball game, and eventually, some of those kids get asked to get into the game. Well, in this particular night, we were playing, and the coach came in, and he said to this kid, you need to get up, and you need to go in the game. Well, he had to take his warm-up off, so he goes over to check in to tell the table he's going in, takes his top off, and there's his jersey. His number's right there. He takes his pants, and he pulls them down, and guess what? He forgot to put his shorts on. And he had to go back after everybody saw his underwear. And he had to go back to the locker room, and he had to get dressed. Why? Because if he'd have put on his pants once, he'd have been ready to play the entire game. See, here's the thing. When you realize this isn't a fight, you don't have to dress for the fight. When you realize this isn't about you getting ready for a fight, but you getting dressed to stand, right? To stand at attention. To stand in your dress blues. To stand in the uniform that you get from Jesus. When you realize all you got to do is put it on once and it's yours forever, it changes everything. You see, so many of us, we go home exhausted. It's been such a hard day. Satan has wore me out today. He's just attacked and attacked and attacked. And I fought and I fought and I fought. And the next morning you get up and you're like, I don't want to do this again. And you think, because you didn't make the choice to put your armor on, that somehow you're not equipped. Well, you're not if you think it's a fight. But when you realize it's not a fight, these are dress blues. These are the uniforms of victors pulling into port to be identified. And how many times do you have to put them on? Do you realize that when you come into contact with Jesus, this stuff becomes yours once and you never, ever, 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 ever walk around without it? And yet how many of us act like it's something, oh, I just got to get better at wielding the sword, right? I got to get better at wearing the helmet. No, aorist imperative. It's a command. And the beginning of that command and the end of that command is right in sight. You say it once, it lasts forever. 
That's why learning these things are so important. Because now, when you feel discouraged, because guess what? The rulers, right? And the principalities and the forces of evil that are scheming against you are saying to you, you know what? You're going to lose today. You're going to lose today. You can say to him, no, I'm not. Because I'm still equipped. I put it on once and it's still on me. Right? You can say that. To those people. And guess what? They know the power of Jesus even before he destroyed their boss. Because when Jesus met these forces of evil in the man named Legion and they came face to face with Jesus, do you know what they did? They didn't say, You're going down. They said, please, please, please don't destroy us. Please, please send us into the pigs because they cower at his force and he hadn't even killed their boss yet. Imagine how they feel today. All you got to do is mention the name of Jesus. But that's hard to do when you think this is about you winning. When you think this is about you fighting. All you got to do is get dressed. If that kid had put on his shorts, he could have gotten right in the game. But he didn't have them on. You think that you wake up and I'm not ready for fight today. Yes, you are. Because all you got to do is put them on what? Once. Once. And here's how important they are. Listen to Matthew 22. This is how important these things are. Matthew 22, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. And here's what he said. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell these people to come. But they refused to come. He says, then he sent some more servants and he said this, tell those who've been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. That language sound familiar to you? Luke 15 of the prodigal son, right? Go and kill the fatted calf and let's have a banquet, right? But they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his field, another to his business, preoccupied with this world. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. We're living in that now. Look what it says. The king was enraged. He said his army destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite them to the banquet anyone you find. Welcome to the church age. Who do we invite to come to Jesus? Everyone. This is us. Right? The Jews rejected him. He destroyed their city. Now he says, church, go invite anyone you find. So the servants went out in the streets, gathered all the people they could find. Listen to how important these clothes are. Both good and bad. We invite who to the church? Both good and bad. So we invite bad people to church and they come as bad people. Please don't make them feel unwelcome. Everybody say yes. Right? Because listen, is it going to be uncomfortable? Yeah. Because some of you were that bad person that came to church. And here's the conversation that's been happening a lot within our staff. People who are bad out in the world are saying things like this. I don't, I don't, I don't think I can come to your church. One of my pastors told me today, they, they were talking to a church member who said they have a homosexual couple and they said to this pastor, well, we can't invite them to come to Tomoka because they won't be welcome. Yes, they will, right church? Yes, they will, right church? Even if the homosexual couple comes in holding hand because we invite them both the good and the what? The bad, because we're trying to get people to come to the banquet. Amen? 
But here's what distinguishes people. He says, the good and the bad in the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see these guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing the wedding clothes. Friend, he said, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? The man was what? Speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside and into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, maybe you don't know Jesus in here tonight. Maybe you're watching online and you don't know Jesus. First and foremost, you got to understand that the fight is over. Jesus won it. And the second thing you got to do is you got to put on those clothes. You got to accept Jesus, right? You've got to accept him because the banquet isn't open to you unless you have it. You've got to put those on. And church, if you know Jesus online and in here, listen to me. The armor of God is not to prepare you for battle because the battle's already been won. The armor of God is designed to identify you as a person who's on the victor side. Can somebody say amen? You do it once and it lasts forever. That's, that is the command. And then go to the last point. Collision. Because look what he says in verses 12 and 13. Here's the comprehension. This isn't a fight. This is about you finding strength in Jesus because he already won the fight. Somebody say amen. This is about getting dressed, right? Clothing yourselves with what? With that strength, right? And those wedding clothes, that outfit that we put on identifies us as people who belong. You're not dressing for a fight here, church. You're dressing to identify that you belong and the armor of God signifies you belong. And then he says, here's why you got to do it. Cause there's going to be a collision and look who the collisions with our struggle. Everybody say the word struggle. That's the word we're going to focus on because the word struggle at its core means to vibrate, right? It's about two, I don't know if you've ever been in a car wreck, right? But if a car hits another car, there is a, there's a lot of things that happen. But one of the things happen is there's this vibration between the two colliding forces, right? That's the picture he paints here. He says, for your collision, your vibration as a result of this coming together, right? Not your fight, but your, your vibration, right? In the Greek, it comes from a word I-S, Right? Not is, right? In the Greek, and it means this, this overwhelming, this force that puts upon you. And what's implied in that is there's this, when you rub two things together like this, you get friction and you get vibration. He says, that vibration is not against two. Joe Biden is not the enemy. That's not the vibration we're looking for. Donald Trump is not the vibration. That's not the fight we're looking for. You might have decided that's what you want to fight, but that's not a spiritual fight. That's just your own ego wanting to fight with another person's ego. He says, your struggle isn't against people, but against who? Rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He does not say your struggle is against who? Satan. Because he's already what? He's already defeated. These forces, these powers are implementing the schemes of the devil in this wrestling match. It's not a fight. 
It's a wrestling match. The fight's over. And guess what? Satan has shown up or sent his people to, to wrestle with you. And they don't have any weapon. They got no weapon. The only weapon they have is to lie to you. That's it. You ever felt lied to by the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places? Of course you have. That little voice in your head that tears you down and says terrible things about you and things that you should be ashamed of and not proud of, right? That's the voice of a liar. Anybody, anybody ever hear the voice of wondering whether your salvation is still intact after a really bad season? That's the spiritual forces of evil. Why? Because they got nothing else to wrestle with. All they can do is whisper in your ear and lie because they can't win. And scripture tells me Satan's been disarmed. He's done. He's over. And he says, you're going to have a collision in the spiritual realm. Now, I don't have time, obviously, because the, 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 the buzzer went off, right? And if I talk for two more minutes, Shelby's going to show up, right? But I want you to read, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read Revelation chapter 2. And I want you to read Revelation chapter 8. And then when we get together after Easter, I want to walk through this collision. Because it's, it is the collision... That has existed since the beginning of time. And you need to understand what happened in the real spiritual collision so that you can get this. Listen, when I was sitting at my desk today and God flipped that light bulb off for me again, on for me again. That I'm not in a fight. I'm in a wrestling match. Satan's already been defeated. And the armor of God... Is for my identification. It's for your identification. And why? So you can stand. So you can stand. Now, there is a fight that you have to fight every day. And it's against who? It's against yourself. Don't confuse your fight with your sinful flesh. Thinking that's a fight with the enemy. That's just because you're cruddy. And I'm cruddy. That fight, you got to fight sometimes once a day, sometimes 48 times a day, right? That's not a spiritual fight. That's just you fighting against something that's already dying. But the spiritual fight, it's over. The spiritual collision, because of the spiritual wrestling match, you and I got to we got to participate in that. And that's what I want to talk about when we get together. Everybody good with that church? All right. I hope that helped. I hope that's encouraging. Let's pray. Oh, listen, I'm still praying. All right. And listen, please, now that you know this, there are people out there right now, good and bad, that need to be invited. And they need to be given a chance to put on these clothes. Easter is a great time to do that. You ain't got to preach to them. You ain't got to sell them anything. Just invite them to come to sit with you at Easter. And let, let God do his thing. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending... Thank you for sending our mighty warrior. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for equipping him to defeat our enemy. The one who made us slaves. 
The one who made us afraid. The one who abused us. The one who took advantage of us. The one who used us. Lord, thank you that we have a savior. A warrior. A one warrior who will ride again into battle. But not to fight. But to simply remind our enemy that that fight ended a long time ago. I want that fight to end in me. And I want that fight to end in us. That when it comes to the spiritual realm, there is no fight. There's simply our dress clothes that we stand in attention with. And we stand and we stand and we stand. I pray, Father, that you will encourage us in that. And I pray, Father, that we'll understand the power of these clothes better. And that we'll invite the good and the bad to be invited to find those clothes in your son and to put them on too. Because as Jesus reminded us, without that, without that set of clothes, we'll be kicked out. And we'll be thrown into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Father, encourage us in this. And I do pray you'll bring us back so we can learn more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you, church.